on the Empire Podcast this week, we wreck it with Ralph. We talk warm bodies with Nicholas Holt, which is not as rude as it probably sounds. Uh, we discuss Anthony Hopkins' attempts to shoot Psycho in Hitchcock and Gael Garcia Bernal's attempts to take down Pinochet in No. Uh, good afternoon, morning or evening all. I'm Helen O'Hara and welcome to the 47th Empire Podcast, the only movie podcast that escaped from an 8-bit game and reinvented itself as... Uh, a computer distributed audio file. So that was a big step up. Um, the fact that I am not your usual host, Chris Hewitt, may lead you to conclude that I was lying last week when I claimed that he was away on a trip and that, that I did, in fact, kill him after all. But nothing could be further from the truth. He is right here in town, just indisposed. So everything's everything's fine. There's no need to call the police. Anyway, never fear. Along with me are some of Empire's finest, uh, or at least the finest who were free to record right now. Now, you see, I had a great idea to introduce you all today. I was going to you know, theme it around video game characters for Wreck-It Ralph's release. But the problem is that the only game I've ever played was Heroes of Karn on the Commodore 64 in about 1983. So um, I've decided to go with that anyway. I'm Link you all to that non-seminal game. So first up, here's Istar the Wizard, no longer languishing in that cell in the middle of nowhere trapped by a rock slide, it's James Dyer. You've out-nerded me and this has never <laughs> happened before. That has to be a first time for everything. I'm astonished. Next up, we have Baron the Warlord, who was previously a frog, but he was transformed by a kiss into his original heroic self, Sailo Phil Semlin. Hi. What is she talking about? <laughs> no idea. It's a really obscure game. I don't game recognize that any plays. of the words in that last sentence. <laughs> frog. Is it a frogger? No, just a frog. Let's move on. Okay. Helen, who's Ali? <laughs> Ali is, of course, Kadim the Dwarf, who once hid in a tiny little tunnel holding the only shovel that could possibly allow me to rescue Istar, the utter bastard. It's funny, that's not the first time I've been called a dwarf in this pod booth. I seem to remember Catherine O'Hara calling me a dwarf when I was here. Oh, that's harsh. You're of a very good height, I would Was thought. it the beard? Uh, no, it's because I was kneeling down trying to fix the desk uh, in the <laughs> podcast room, and she went, it's a dwarf, it's a dwarf! <laughs> and I was like, great, that's going to be my abiding memory of you. Excellent. That's good. Well, welcome all. Uh, let's uh, take some questions and comments from uh, the readers, uh, listeners first. At Skeletal Sam asks, which deleted scenes should have stayed in their movies? Captain America at the outdoor cafe in The Avengers is my pick. Ooh, good question. I agree with him with his scene that he's chosen there because that's got a much better Stan Lee cameo than we actually got in The Avengers, which was him playing chess a la X3 uh, on that video. Yeah, video kind of montage thing at yeah. the end, yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that's kind of funny. But the one I'd pick uh, isn't that at all. It's actually one that's so bad that James has already had a go at me for even thinking about it. It's the terrible <laughs> deleted scene from uh, T3 uh, when Arnie... It kind of explains why all the Terminators look like Arnie as he plays a guy called William Candy in the most amazingly broad American yee-haw Texas accent. And it's a kind of an advert for Cyberdyne's death squads. And there's a joke about this guy saying, you know, I don't like this accent. Can we change the accent? And the uh, guy who's showing the video goes, we can fix it. And they carry on. <gasps> so that's how uh, it happened. You're an idiot. <laughs> Does Quentin Tarantino turn up and go, Good eye, mates. Yeah, hello. <laughs> even even that would be better than this deleted scene, <laughs> which is one, one of the worst atrocities in the in the history of just well everything. But I think it's so, 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 so very bad. It's easily my favourite thing about T three. Dreadful. I would like to see all the deleted scenes from the Tree of Life involving dinosaurs. 
Right. And then I'd like Were them to be many? edited together into a movie starring just dinosaurs. Just so dinosaurs. basically Terence Malick's Jurassic Park <laughs> with less of the other stuff. Um I have to say, I was watching uh, Africa, the David uh, Attenborough series the other night on TV, and uh, at one point he said, referring to an, an area of the country, that it's like a, a you know a modern-day Jurassic Park, and I have to say I geeked out a little bit. It's like, it's David Attenborough talking about Richard Attenborough's stuff. Amazing. That's pretty cool, actually. Those aren't specifically deleted scenes. They're just things that didn't make it into the movie, and I know there's a difference. I, I don't know too much about deleted scenes, although I gather the one... If my brother's not here, but he would want me to mention the Goonies in his absence. It's got a special place in his heart. Yes. And the giant this octopus. is another dreadful, dreadful deleted scene. <laughs> they don't have to be good ones ah, today. Oh, they should have stayed in the movie. I haven't read the question. But probably. at least... Oh, okay, it was only a, a line long, Phil. Come on, you've got to do your homework. <laughs> Sorry, Skeletor Sam. I'm reading it now. You're right. It's not a good deleted scene, but the curio about that particular one, as you were mentioning, yeah. is that they leave the line in that refers back to it. In which Data, Data says, says yeah. the giant octopus oh, refers to yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And nobody goes, that's not in the movie. Let's move on. Since Data <laughs> is a close personal friend of Nick's, he probably would like that deleted scene on many levels. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. I would like to see the deleted scenes from Schindler's List involving the dinosaurs. I think that's that was. Oh, a, uh, I think it's still too soon. <laughs> is it too soon? Yeah, it's still. Too All right. Soon. Well, I, I would say then, um, Aliens. The special edition of Aliens uh, introduces a number of key scenes, uh, and I'm always torn on this. Do you watch the theatrical cut of Aliens, or do you watch the special edition? Because on the one hand, the special editions has some nice extra shots of the Sulaco when they're all in hypersleep. It has uh, a nice bit of. Uh, Ripley sort of finding out about her daughter's death which kind of ties in the whole her newt relationship and cements that although you could argue it hammers it home a little bit hard uh, and it has the sentry guns the automated sentry guns and they're, they're absolutely brilliant mm. so all of that is great but on the other hand it has a hamster which is rubbish <laughs> and completely kills the tension in because basically it's, it preempts a sequence that follows very soon afterwards and it also has a prologue at the beginning where you see um uh, Newt's family uh, discover the alien facehugger and uh, I think it was uh, Cameron was advised sort of early on just lose the first reel lose that prologue because mm. uh, then you have so much more mystery and tension throughout the whole sort of first third of the film and and the, it's absolutely right introducing it just diffuses all of the tension but mm. why didn't the, min the minigun scene make the, I can't think sentry of anything guns. sentry guns oh. get it right Phil sentry guns I apologise to everyone here um didn't make the why didn't that not make the the, the, the film because I can't think of a more James Cameron -y bit of cinema well, than that. I, honestly, I think because it was all I mean with all of the stuff cut out, it's what it's a hundred it's approximately one hundred and thirty one minutes. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nerd. Um, you know, it's, it, I think it was pretty long. I think it was uh, any pacing issues. But that's only like that's how long is that? Three minutes that scene. But also, it's the beats, isn't it? It's, it's the hamster, <laughs> the hamster scene is cut out because it preempts another sequence. And I think the sentry gun thing preempts the, you know, five meters, man, four. What the hell? You know, when they're above the ceiling. Uh, and I think you can only sort of, you know, draw from the well so many times before people get fed up. So, uh, all in all, I think best left theatrically. Uh, so I haven't really answered the question. Sorry. I gather there's a bit in. Independence Day where Jeff Goldblum figures out when he's on the, the alien craft mothership mm -hmm. that he works out the hieroglyphs that he's already figured out from earlier in the film and then figures out that he can in upload this virus 
So, because I've challenged, I I interviewed Roland Emmerich and I asked him about this, and I, you know, he agreed that the aliens probably should have like installed some sort of basic McAfee, yeah, McAfee or Norton antivirus, depending on what was sort of easier and cheaper at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, Goldblum has the scene where he where it makes sense as opposed to him just turning up and then uploading this thing from his Mac, which just happens to be compatible with. You know, given uh, the Macs aren't even compatible with PCs, that's quite an achievement. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, <laughs> so, I don't think the film lost much from that, but there you go. I think a more recent film that could really could have benefited from the deleted scenes. I did a whole piece on this, which is which is why I know people are divided about whether they like this film or not. Uh, this is the Amazing Spider-Man, but there were bits where you mm. went, "Her, what? How did that work out?" and hang on if they're there how is she there and there are deleted scenes that make a lot of sense there are characters whose fate you never really learn mm. in the film released in cinemas uh, who you know their whole thing is, is in the deleted scenes it's who? a bit bizarre tell me who well, I was trying to avoid spoilers Sorry. we got told off for, for giving away a spoiler spoil it go on week. spoil it Essentially, Norman Osborn's henchman, uh, who's played by Ifran Khan he'll know from Life of Pi he gets deathed so that's interesting and he will now be in the sequel so lucky that ended up on the cutting room floor for him and his uh, accountant do you think that's what Terence Malick tells people he cuts out of his films oh totally you're going to be in a sequel don't worry yeah Tree of <laughs> yeah. Life 3 yeah <laughs> I'm still waiting for the uh, special extended edition of uh, Thin Red Line with you know proper amounts of George Clooney Thick Red Line the Thick Red Line <laughs> uh, also we've got to mention Lord of the Rings because obviously yes. Yeah, there might have been one or two minutes of of footage. A couple of minutes you may have noticed are extra in the extended editions. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of things. Nothing nothing major. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. All right. Um, Okay. At Bjorn Feiner asks, who would you like to see in the Star Wars spin-offs, characters and actors? We also got at Idris underscore Gatlin suggesting Ryan Gosling for Han Solo and at Anthony Doyle 81 suggesting Michael Fassbender now this is uh, obviously the week's big news and I think we may as well just discuss it now because uh, this has been a massive topic on everybody's mind uh, that as, as well as Star Wars Episode 7 which J.J. Abrams is working on the studio is also putting together two Star Wars spin-offs and at the moment it appears that one will focus on a young Han Solo and one will focus on um, Boba Fett. So, um, Jeff what Bridges do we think? What do we is think? <laughs> Max Rebo, the early years, charting his rise from whimsical Moss Eisley lounge act to playing Jabba's Palace. <laughs> his heartbreaking breakup with Cy Snoodles <laughs> oh, crazy. No. and his bi-curious affair with, with Droopy McCall is, is astonishing it would be amazing it's crazy heart basically it's basically crazy heart in space with a large fat blue space elephant Max, Re- Max Rebo I'm seeing yeah. him more like a Ray and there's a kind of silhouetted poster of him <laughs> yeah black white. honestly this is gold if anyone's listening I'm totally up for selling I'll be, the I'll be honest I am uh, more excited about that than I am about Boba Fett now yeah. I, I know I'm in a minority in this office but I've always thought that Boba Fett is the single most overrated character in cinema history you're a fool all He's he awesome. does no no let's look at what he actually does be cool he turn. not even that cool who wears a red and green helmet he has an awesome blaster and what? a cape and a jetpack, for God's sake. Nobody wears capes. Come on, he has a cape Nobody wears jetpacks. Jet they're great. Yeah, a jetpack that took him right into the mouth of the Sarlacc. Spoiler. Oh, come on. There's a time limit. I'm just saying, I'm I'm not particularly down with that, but I, I get that everybody else in the world is. I've convinced myself it's a good idea because... In my mind, they need to make it a full-on Western. They need to need to make it very genre-fied, 
a sci-fi western not entirely unlike firefly would be okay um with him he need to get a little chattier i feel need to be a little little bit more from him in the voice department and i'd like him to be a bit more charming for this to work it's the problem i've got with it is who the hell do you cast tyra morrison surely (laughs) you don't really have a choice he's a clone (laughs) it could be anybody couldn't it no it could be tamara morrison because he's a clone Presumably we're going to do a bit of retconning there. You think? I think. You think they'll dial that back? Yeah. I think it's going to be like Dread. He can't take the helmet off on camera. That's not a bad shout. Interesting thought. My pitch. Yep. Not as good as James's perhaps, but Porkins, the training years. Yes. (laughs) Jonah Hill is Porkins. It came from behind. Spoiler. That will be... That's the tagline. It says it came from behind. Porkins, it came from behind. (laughs) Amazing. I would love that to happen. I, I honestly have no way of making a plot out of it. But yeah, he would just do a lot of training exercises. And then, um, yeah. yeah. It could be like an officer and a gentleman type deal with Akbar. <laughs> Admiral Akbar in the academy and they've got, there's, there's a woman. There's a woman There's a woman it's involved. A it's, it's a, a trap. It's, it's a honey trap. trap. It's a tramp. There's a trap and a woman. <laughs> but Come yes, on, I, des- I deserve trap. more for it's a honey trap. Yeah, oh, that was good. Sorry, I completely sorry, missed that. Well. All right, I'm gonna, as, as I edit this, I'm just going to stick in some fake applause. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You right, edit this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Um, what do we think then about Han Solo? Because that would be, it seems to me, the single hardest role in cinema history in that you're stepping into none more iconic shoes um, and you, it's going to have to be a young actor. I mean, these suggestions, Ryan Gosling mm. and Michael Fassbender, both incredibly cool. No. Both probably already, or if not about to be, older than Harrison Ford was when, he played, in the, uh, when he played Han Solo. It's like a million voices cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Not That's, oysters, uh, Dave. Not oysters, no, we don't, we don't, yeah. I'm going to name some young actors, none of whom are right. We've got, uh, I don't know, Josh Hutchison, no. Liam Hemsworth, no. Nicholas um, Holt? Nicholas Holt, no. no. Daniel Radcliffe, no. You know, it, it, who in their young, in their early twenties? Jeremy Irvine, no. They're going to have to clone. I just, I don't know. They're going to have to Jurassic Park, Harrison Ford. Right, and make the film in twenty years when the clone is old enough. This is going to work. This is a, this is a, a uniquely thankless task for someone to do, surely, because no one inhabits a role mm. in the Star Wars universe quite like Harrison Ford and Han Solo. Mm. Uh, I just, I can't imagine anyone even doing a halfway decent job. That sounds awful, but I, I really can't. There's got to be somebody out there who could do it. I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be some unknown that they will cast and, mm. and launch to start them on the back of this. And if it is somebody who delivers, they will be set for life. Um, but I have to say, I'm kind of more excited about episode seven because the excitement for me is the Star Wars universe. I don't need to go back to the same characters we've already seen and fill in bits of history. I want to see more Star Wars, not backwards Star Wars a little bit. But with the young Han Solo days, how he meets Chewie, how he wins the Millennium Falcon off uh, Lando, I do want to see. Those are things I'd, I'd be curious to witness on screen. I'm also petrified of them getting it wrong, so <laughs> I just... But that's is, there's, there's an element of never go back. You know, mm. go forward, don't go back. Uh, you know, lots of people criticise the prequels. I'm actually, I've always been a staunch defender of the prequels. I actually rather like them. Uh, but the problem is because they come before the originals they directly affect how you perceive them and the same with this it sullies if it's done badly uh, how you perceive the original films whereas if you build on afterwards you can get away with a lot more it's it's much safer territory I have a similar worry actually with Sully in Monsters University for the same reason it it is the peril of the prequel maybe I'm just thinking um, Logan Lerman 
you know, he was good in the perks of being a wallflower. Yes, but that's a man. I mean, he was great in that. But as a wallflower, as the most unconfident man in history, Han Solo is somebody you grow up watching yeah, and going, but, I want to be like him. He is awesome and cool. But he's done a little bit of that, little touches of that in Percy Jackson. I mean, I'm not saying it's a great film, but... He doesn't have enough of the scruffy-looking nerf herder about him. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to ruffle somebody's hair to get them scruffy. Okay, so, I mean, you know, the jury's like, we don't don't judge films in advance in the sense that we don't write anything off. Uh, And certainly, with the team behind them, these could be great. I mean, we've got Lawrence Kasdan doing one of the scripts, you know. There is no more Star Wars royalty than him, unless it perhaps be... I don't know, George Lucas and Harrison Ford. Um, so, fingers crossed, but it's it's hard to know. If you have any more casting suggestions, do send them in to us and we'll discuss them next week. We also have at a blog about film who asks, what with the Wreck-It Ralph out now, um, who is your favourite voice performance in an animated film? Big question. I've got a big answer. Oh, bring it. Robin Williams Darn in it. Aladdin and King of Thieves. He is extraordinary, and I don't think there will ever be anybody... No one instance of voice acting in animated cinema that will quite... It, it, it's the case of the, the medium doing perfect justice to the voice artist. Wasn't he the I, first? He was, he was kind of the celebrity first celebrity one of, of, yeah, of modern, modern times. I mean, I, was, I'm, I said damn it because that's exactly what I was going to say sure. as well. And the reason for it is this. It's not just actually, credit where it's due, it's not just Robin Williams. What happened with that, now, a little bit of insider knowledge to animation. In animated films, you have a key animator for each character. And in the studio terms, the key animator is essentially like the actor. They're in charge of all the decisions for that character. I mean, yeah, the the director obviously is going to be involved and especially in casting and so on. But the the key animator has a lot of power and is essentially like the actor or the star for that character. And they, they kind of determine how things go. And the key animator for the genie was Eric Goldberg, who's one of the kind of new nine old men of Disney. And he, um, he basically said to Robin Williams in the booth, just go go nuts and I'm going to pick the bits I can and just do whatever with them. And he did all that crazy animation to make it work. And I think there's something like 50 different sort of genie characters in the film or maybe more because he just kept doing it the whole way through. Really impressive. How about you, Phil? That's very cool. I haven't got any story like that. That was really, <laughs> that was fascinating. I, I, much smaller, but I just, I loved Spanish bars. <laughs> in um, Toy Story 3 and I want to give a shout out to <clears throat> after your Gael García Banal pronunciation I'm a bit daunted by this Javier Fernández Peña uh, How, who Javier? voiced Spanish Buzz in Toy Story 3 cool. um, he was great and I really love everything John Rats- Ratzenberger does in the Pixar films too especially Slotted Pig <laughs> um, How? Great. Yeah. yeah Yeah um, the Spanish version of uh, You've Got a Friend and Me is also terrific by the Gypsy Kings. If you haven't heard it, people, go seek it out. Uh, I, I might say uh, James Earl Jones as Mufasa in The Lion King. Oh, yes. Because he's the main man. Well, also. <laughs> and that's funny, Helen, because you see lions have manes, so it's like a pun. Thanks, James. Yeah, that's, that's no Jeremy problem. Irons is also excellent in that uh, scar. Um, mm. I would also like to point out someone British, uh, Peter Salas, who did Wallace for many a year in Wallace and Gromit. He's now been replaced by Ben Whitehead, uh, who coincidentally is in Pirates, an adventure with scientist. He plays the pirate who likes sunsets and kittens, uh, but he's also Wallace. Uh, he took over from him, I think, about five or six years ago um, and also Eddie Murphy in Shrek I thought James you'd bring him up I prefer uh, Eddie Murphy in Mulan 
to be honest. Mm, fair enough. Mm. Even though he doesn't say... Oh he doesn't God. say I'm a donkey on the edge. No, that's absolutely true. Which is pretty uh, much Jim's, uh, James's catchphrase, that's my catchphrase, by the way. Yeah, I like Banderas' as Puss in Boots in, in the Shrek films. I haven't seen the spin-off. He is, is he good yeah, he's terrific. He's terrific all round, basically. Yeah. All right, so um, good voice work. Um, I'm, I'm all, I was also going to mention the person who plays Maleficent, but to my shame, I have forgotten her name. I apologise. Um, but she's terrific as well. She was a Broadway star brought in, I believe. If you do want to send in any questions or comments, and who could blame you if you didn't after that, um, you can uh, find us on Twitter, where we are at Empire Magazine. And of course, the hashtag is Empire Podcast. Facebook, we're also Empire Magazine. And email, we are podcast at Empire Magazine, keeping up the theme. Uh, that's a dot com. Uh, you could also embroider them on some kind of you know cross-stitch primer or craft your message in macrame. But to be honest, that's much less usual and might look, make you look weird. Now we're on to the first of this week's fabulous celebrity guests. Um, Nicholas Holt made an impression in ugly clothes and a worse hat when he was just a wee nipper in About a Boy, but he finally got properly dressed and relaunched himself with skins. He's now firmly established on screen in the likes of A Single Man and X-Men First Class, and he has a leading man double bill headed our way with this week's Warm Bodies and next month's Jack the Giant Slayer. Um, Phil and I sat down with Nicholas Holt recently just over a plate of brain-shaped cake to get his top zombie tips. Um, so welcome to uh, the Empire Podcast where we have a special guest today, Nicholas Holt, here to talk about many things hopefully, but uh, specifically warm bodies. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> He's got a mouthful of cake. <laughs> Thank you for the cake. Yes, we should explain. We actually have a cake in the shape of a brain, um, which given that you play a zombie in warm bodies seemed, seemed incredibly appropriate so yeah. thank you it's for really cake. tasty it's a, a chocolate cake well so brains really do taste There's good some nice icing and raspberry and jam and I gather you ha- one of the brains you ate had hair in it though on the actual yeah. is that true yeah I was doing a scene where I was meant to um, have just killed Dave Franco by grabbing his hair and pummeling his head into the to the floor Sounds a lot more violent. Like you don't see a lot of this in the film. <laughs> but um, and then I peel off his scalp and eat his brains. But throughout the process, I had um, I'd pulled some of the hair out of the dummy, and then it kind of got mangled up with the brains. And I got I was I was I was very deep into the character. Naturally, naturally. And I decided <laughs> what I'm going to do here is I'm gonna I'm gonna eat it because, well, really it was because in my back of my head I thought if I don't eat this we're gonna have to reset. That takes at least twenty minutes. We'll be we'll all be here for hours. <laughs> Everyone wants to go home, so just eat it and man up. Wow! So I ate the dummy's hair. Wow! I liked it. That's <laughs> <laughs> very method. Well done. I'm so method. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So uh, so you know how much fun is it playing a zombie? It's Did, a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real it, it was a real treat actually. I, when I first read the script, I really liked the character. I understood him and, and, and cared for him and like wanted him to mm. succeed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, then, um, and then it was a thing whereby I didn't have a lot of dialogue to learn. Mm. which is a big plus and I got to kind of just mooch around slouch around grumbling a little bit and um, and watch other people act so it was lovely <laughs> sounds like the ideal job I mean there's a couple of elements of the, the film I was going to ask about first of all it's not an obvious thing to do to make a zombie kind of the romantic hero. No. Um, and and I have to say, when I first heard the, the, the premise, I was vaguely horrified. I was like, has the paranormal romance genre gotten to this level? Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But actually, when you read the book and, and when you see the film, it, it kind of makes a weird sort of sense. It, it does make You know what? Strangely, luckily, I hadn't really been sold the premise before reading right. the script. Because um, I think I'd have probably had the same reaction. I'd been like, "Ah, oh, come on, too much." Um, and then I read it, and it's it's funny, 
and it, you know, it, it recognises that it's kind of a ridiculous thing happening. Mm. And but it manages to. Jonathan Levine's a very talented director, and he um he manages to tread a fine line of keeping it funny, but uh, you know, caring for the characters and being quite heartwarming, with a bit of action and horror in there as well. And uh, I think you, I think you like the characters. Mm. Yeah, do you do definitely. And also, your zombie run, I thought, was it was a really impressive kind of lurch to it. Like one shoulder, completely different kind of sphere of influence from the other. It was kind of hilarious. It was very difficult for me to do that because I'm an athlete. And uh, <laughs> no, there was like the zombie run was really tricky because like the zombie walk, you just shuffle a little bit, yeah. slouch. All right, um, the zombie run, and Teresa is quite a quick runner, and um, I'd be trying to keep up with her in a uncoordinated fashion <laughs> in the zombie style and I remember doing it and, and then I saw it and I was like oh that was embarrassing wasn't it <laughs> but um, it was too late by then so there we go but it kind of works you, you look like a zombie yeah you know? it works so, yeah. alright good <laughs> um, and I wanted to find, uh, ask you as well like the zombie noises did that take a long time to kind of perfect getting the right sort of moans and groans and can you teach us something <laughs> I can teach you it there's, it's Is really straightforward to be honest here. it's uh, there's, there's two approaches of it both of which I tried um, there's one where you're just really hung over and I so you imagine that and then someone's just come into your room and they've told you like you've got to go to work and that groany noise that you make of the, uh -huh. uh, whatever it is I don't know do that and then and then just kind of form words out of that but then we kind of we, in, in rehearsals I was working because it, it was an American accent as well I was working with a diet coach a little bit um, and um, and we tried to form it back to like people who have had because you can't remember the words mm. um we tried to take it back to people who've had uh, brain injuries and stuff, and um, <laughs> it's very serious, isn't it? That's uh, and, and and take it back to them, like the the muscle memory going as well, um, you know, because it's, it's very it's very complicated this talking business, isn't it? Mm. Um, so when you break it down, yeah, then it was kind of this grumbling, but then trying to the muscle memory to remember how to form the words, but also trying to remember what the word is. I mean, if they hadn't cut around some of my performance, it would have been a very, very long movie. <laughs> but it's true, because he does kind of gradually, without giving too much away, happens reasonably early in the movie, regains some of his powers of speech. Yeah. So yeah. That, that puts kind of a demand on you to do a bit of zombie and, and then to bring... I mean, this is, applies to the whole performance, but, you know, yeah. bring the increasing amounts of humanity to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we kind of went through... Me and, me and Jonathan went through the script and, and picked out the key moments... When, uh, when events that you know might make him change or you know trigger certain things to get better, um, so we tried to develop that, and then you know it'd be be on set and it'd be like less zombie, more zombie. Like, All right, okay, we got this. <laughs> Just a big sign. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much it'd be like do one more, less zombie. All right, okay, sorry. Don't get away. I, at the moment with with Rob Cordray, where you have like a grown off quite very early in the mm -hmm. movie, yeah. it's just must have been a lot of fun to, to, um, yeah, to shoot a, that. There was a lot of corpsing. Yeah. On oh, my part. Oh, um, no, it was one of those things where Rob's, Rob's really funny and, um, and difficult to work with because of that. <laughs> so, and, and we'd sit there and we literally, there's nothing written. It's just literally us sitting there grunting. And, um, and it's amazing how much you can say with just grunts. I mean, it's quite similar to guys at bars anyway nowadays, isn't it? You kind of sit there and you're like, mm, it's a good game. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he whipped out some, some really good groans and I'd lose it a fair bit. Um, I struggled throughout filming just by laughing continually. Mm. Yeah. Quite right, too. So, so who would you recommend this to? This, this film? film? Or yeah. The cake? <laughs> the cake <laughs> I'd recommend this to everyone. Um, who would I recommend it to? You know what? 
Um, I don't want to say everyone because, you know, then people will be like, well, I didn't like that and he recommended it to me. Um, but I do, I mean, I do think it's got a good mix um, for lots of people. Like I've taken my mates and they and they liked it and uh, they've done lots of testing on, on younger audiences as well and they all seem to really like it. Um, but my mum and dad, they liked it. So I... Have they liked all your movies? Uh... Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest. No, no, no. There's some that they they're not uh, they're not as big a fans of, um, but this one they really like. I don't know. I think I I do. Who would you recommend it to? I well, enjoyed it. Yeah, I really did. enjoyed it. We came out and we we felt a strong five hundred days of summer. Yeah, and Shaun of the Dead, and uh, it's knowing and it's it loves the zombie movies. It's kind of parodying and it loves the parodies of the zombie movies. Twenty eight days later, yeah, um, and it's smart and knowing and it's got a good soundtrack mm. and it's a lot of fun and it's, it's funny, enjoyable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah so I don't. Yeah, life. I'm kind of old, but I mean, I guess you'd you'd say <laughs> that the target demographic probably for the book as well is a bit younger. No, not even that really young. Fun. I don't think so. But yeah, I really we really liked it. But yeah, because it's got you know there's stuff for the younger folk, but then there's kind of the the smart <laughs> elements <laughs> to the movie for the, yeah. for the, the, the subtext the, I mean the, the, the messages in the subtext oh there's a Shakespeare there's a big Shakespeare parody in the middle there for the oh, for yes. the Shakespearean aficionado yes, absolutely. <laughs> we've got some, uh, yeah, some I also brush. wanted to ask there, there's a little thing I noticed and it may be nothing um, but they have that little bit at the airport so the zombies hang out at the airport yeah. and um, and there's still a little bit of the um, the automatic um, announcements at the airport are still going about the white zone being for loading and unloading only. Is that a deliberate airplane reference? Yeah, do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I oh, like I was hoping so. I like that film so much. <laughs> I don't know whose idea. I think I might take credit for that idea. D- take it. No one else is here. It's fine. no one else is here, and I have a feeling that I remember watching that film whilst we were filming and mentioning it on set and being like, you know, what would be funny if we have. A reference to that just suddenly awesome. in the background. So I'm taking credit for that. Thanks very much. Well, well done. I laughed. What a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I, yeah. You know what? I've only seen the film once, but I didn't even spot it was in there. Oh really? That's probably too engrossed in my performance. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you watch? Do you watch yourself kind of cringing at everything that you're aware of that nobody else notices? Are you yeah. one of those people? Yeah. I don't, yeah. 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 Just yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, <laughs> that's it. That sums it up, doesn't it? Um, I wanted to ask you as well, you've got Jack the Giant Slayer coming out yeah. um, just a month after this. Now, I was on set of that in Norwich, I think, at the Cathedral. At the Cathedral, that was yeah. impressive, wasn't it? That's it was it. amazing, yeah. yeah. Never seen anything like it. Um, so, at the time, everybody was really quite excited about it, but didn't quite know what it was. People kept saying to me, yeah, I think it's going to be funny, I think it's going to be adventuresome, but I have no idea. That's in the script, but I don't know Who what we're doing. Who was saying that? That was Ewan. Oh, okay. McGregor. Oh, okay. So, um... So what do you think? Have you seen it now? Have you done bits of ADR? I still haven't seen it. You haven't seen I've it? I've done bits of ADR. Okay. Um, visually, pretty stunning. Okay. Uh, the giants are going to be pretty spectacular and they have good personalities and performances. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be a family adventure with, you know, it's, it is quite funny, you know, there's mm. there's funny moments in there. Like you and getting, <laughs> ended up as a pig in blanket and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, I think it's going to be... Um, it's difficult when I haven't seen it to sell mm, it, but okay. I, I, th- I think people will enjoy it. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm going to go with people will enjoy this movie. <laughs> All right, and you get, so you, you're a sort of, uh, um, I don't know, medieval hoodie-wearing farm lad, huh? Yes, yes. I'm a, I'm, I'm a young farm boy who, who does his best, but things always seem to go a little bit wrong for him. And then he... Um, and then, he, he, you know, his, his uncle's always telling him he's, u- he's useless and 
all this stuff, and then he um, he decides to go on a mission to try and save the princess because you know that's what you do in movies. Yeah, what you got to lose? Yeah, and um, and it goes okay. All right, spoiler, spoiler, <laughs> God. But no, it doesn't. Well, not necessarily. You know, it goes okay. Mm. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. All right. You never know now, do you? Because that did the shaky hand thing. He did the shaky hand thing. It goes thing. okay in the sense he gets that. brutally slaughtered halfway through. <laughs> that kind of okay. Yeah. So okay. up until that point, goes really well. Okay. And after really that, well. not so well. So on the average... The come a lot earlier than you'd expect. <laughs> Instant death and then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jack the Giant slayed by. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and of course, you're going off, I believe, soon to do X-Men first uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah, I'm not sure when we start. I haven't seen a script yet. Um, but we're going to shoot it this year, I think. Okay. Um and uh, Brian Singh who directed Jack the Giant mm-hmm. Slayer is directing um, so it would be nice to work with him again he's, he's, he's top and uh, you know great storyteller good filmmaker yeah. um, so I don't know much about it to be honest with you oh, okay, fair but enough. I've, uh, he, he, when I've spoken to him he's very excited about it and mm. and uh, I think it's going to be good yeah, we, we spoke to him last week and he sounds like he's he thinks he's cracked the script he's I, happy with what he's doing he sounded really hyped up actually yeah no that's exactly the same impression I got okay. when I last spoke to him I was like oh this is exciting <laughs> was he was he making any promises about the prosthetics this time you know is he saying don't worry they've got to fix it figured out now they can do it in an hour and a half there, there's been no promises <laughs> on the prosthetic front there's been talk of it we'll right. wait and see what, how they develop fair enough does that fill you with a tiny bit of dread going back into that suit yeah, well I mean you obviously had a lot of makeup work for this movie and can I just say that when you're made up as a zombie that's made up as a human you look exactly like Tom Cruise in Risky Business really? yeah <laughs> did you, no one mention that? no one mentioned that okay um, well no but when it's we're good. doing that there's a, there's, a, yeah, there's a scene where I have to get I'm, I've gone into the human zone and I have to get a makeover to look human and um, I said I was like let's let's slap it on for this that would be funny <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> really tanned bright red cheeks yeah the works but yeah no one said I look like Tom Cruise in Risky okay. Business okay that may just be me um Hey, I'll take it as a compliment. Um, good film, risky business. What were we talking about? Makeup. Yeah. Oh yeah. The makeup for this film was actually really reasonable. It was only an hour and a half. Um, but the, the the beast makeup was four hours, and a lot more uncomfortable to be in. How do you get through the makeup chair? Um, it, it, for this, we we'd watch films, play Xbox, listen to music, chat. During X Men, I'd fall asleep. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'd fall asleep and then pretend I hadn't been asleep. <laughs> good game. Good game. Yeah, Just did, slip into zombie. Did, did the drool not give give you away? <laughs> I, I never. Drool. No, of course not. Sorry, sorry. Only when I laugh to... occasionally <laughs> and a little bit of dribble comes up. Fair enough. <laughs> we were we were wondering if you ever met Kelsey Grammer. I didn't. No, I have you not met him yet? No, no. I never met him. Um, but I feel as though I met him because I watched a lot of Frasier. Really? <laughs> yeah, in the build-up. Because I, like, I didn't want to impersonate his accent exactly, but I wanted to kind of get a sense of it. So I watched a lot of Frasier. And before scenes, I'd sit around going, Niles, Niles. <laughs> <laughs> that was like my word trigger. So do you, th- do you think you'd ever play a young Frasier then? We could do another prequel. A Frasier prequel? Frasier prequel. Oh, my. Frasier first class. <laughs> I Cheers, Origins. Cheers, Origins. He's a fun character. That could be interesting, yeah. Oh, wow. I think we've started something here. <laughs> write a script. Uh, right, we will. Empire will produce a Fraser prequel. Right, we will. Right, we will. <laughs> Both. Ah. Hey. <laughs> uh, Nicholas Holt, thank you very much for coming in. We hope to have you back for, you know, Jack, for X-Men, for whatever you want, really. Yeah, I'll come, I'll come live here if you want more cake. Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, bring cake oh, with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, fun. no, thank you. The cake so actually, right. next time, presumably, it'll be a giant cake. And uh, the time after that, uh, an X cake. I don't know what that is. All right, well, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much.
What a nice fella. I can tell you actually that rather than eating the whole rest of the cake, as we certainly had planned to do, he stepped out to offer it around the office, which rather startled everybody because they didn't actually know we had a film star in that day. So, um, so yes, we liked him, didn't we, Phil? Yeah, he's a lovely man. Time for this week's movie news. Uh, what have you got for us, Phil? Bruce Willis. I don't know if you've seen if you saw it, but Bruce Willis appeared on the one show this week to promote the new Die Hard film, which is a good day to Die a Hard. Good day to which Die Hard is number five. Exactly number five, and okay. express his bemusement at the title, which he clearly doesn't really understand. Um, and he, they asked him if there was going to be another one, and he pretty much just said yes. So we have no kind of. Uh, added information to offer no casting news but we do think this is going to happen and I did a bit of a research calculation thing inflation adjusted looking at how, how much money these movies have made down the years uh-huh. and it's gone from the first movie 262 million obviously had a lot of you know back end DVD movies sure. video etc the last they're lucrative you know 400 million 530 million 430 million uh, just box office sure um this one we're not allowed to talk about only one of us has seen it we can't even tell you who that was Ali but it's all <laughs> off the record we've signed confidentiality embargoes etc up to the wazoo but you know this one will probably make big money as well so I guess it's not such a big surprise but at the same time you know it seemed they, the, the franchise does seem to have hit the skids a little no, bit no 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 what the most important pressing question is what pun in the theme of things are they going to use I'm saying Goonies never say die hard Oh, a crossover. Or failing that, Die Hard Another Day. I was thinking Die Harder Than You Think because that Public Enemy song was really popular last summer during the Olympics and maybe they try and build on that. New idea, Kent Die Hard, set in France, (laughs) (laughs) D-Hard. Okay. This is genius. I can't, I can't, I just don't understand why we're not producing it. I'm still pissed off that this movie wasn't called, and you all know this because I've said it so many times, Five Hard. Five Hard. Well, I That's think, a bit fast and furious. I think though. they were only going to go with that, you see, if they could get um, the band Five uh, back together to record the theme tune. And having failed to do that, they had to give it up. What about Die Hard 6, The Dying Game, in which Bruce does the whole movie in drag? Die Hard 7, Electric Boogaloo, where he becomes a person who does dancing. Ooh, a disco flavour, I like it. Yeah. And those dance movies are popular. Uh-huh. But if you haven't watched the one show that particular one show and you do live in the UK and you do pay your uh, licence fee watch it because for some people it's going to be watch through fingers viewing for other people it's going to be flat out hilarious because it's essentially those two lovely incredibly friendly people from the one show asking the softest softball questions in the world like is it great being great I bet it's great great (laughs) I've asked that question so many times I'm not so look forward to that and also apparently there might be an asteroid coming to earth what are you going to do about it Bruce Bruce goes um go shopping no, he did look worried. He kept, I noticed at the end of the interview, he like pointed at the screen and said, it's going to miss, right? And we're like, assuming that they would have cancelled the one show if we were all going to die in a week. Well, I but heard that Idris Elba is cancelling Apocalypse, so... It's there you fine. go, it's we're all, all fine. We're all, we're all back on track. Yeah, you should check it out. And whilst you're checking that out, check out Al Pacino on Letterman, because that's amazing as well. Okay. Have you not seen You haven't seen that? Oh, did you know? I thought you sent that round to everyone. No, I sent you the video of Jennifer Lawrence being busted for appearing on an episode of Monk where she dressed up as a tiger, no, as a lion, and then jumped onto the back of Monk and gave him a noogie. A noogie, there's a word for what she did to him. So yeah, so go and watch that. That's on Conan. To, I have to say, inspired by that, I actually looked up her Super Sweet 16 adverts that she did as a 14-year-old. Um, they're Super not, sweet. Her, not her finest hour, but you know, well done her for getting over that. 
Uh, Ali, did you bring us news? Yes, I did bring news. Uh, this is something close to my heart. Uh, so, excuse me if I nerd out. Valve is a games company that brought you Half-Life Portal and Team Fortress. They are very, very good indeed. Mm-hmm. Bad Robots uh, is J.J. Abrams' production studio. Together, they are creating something. Wow. Now, this something they're creating is going to be either a kind of portal movie or a half-life movie that's not confirmed it it might also be a half game half movie which i'm calling a glilm or a goofy (laughs) right (laughs) what they want to do is create something together a game ostensibly together Uh, this was at a um, special press conference they did uh, together the ceo valve and jj when they just suddenly announced it they said look we're going to be making a movie game type thing together and they kind of picked apart flaws in each other's things. They said that Cloverfield didn't make any sense because, you know, you'd have dropped the camera by that point, which I thought was brave. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and the, and he picked apart the fact that, you know, Gordon Freeman in Half-Life doesn't say anything and probably would do, considering all the stuff that's going down in his department. Fair point. I think it's very, very interesting. And if they get this right, I hope, hopefully it can be the, the first truly successful cinematic game and as for the Portal Half-Life games, I don't know. Half-Life is much more film-friendly. Portal is a puzzle game, but it does have GLaDOS, which is amazing. Portal might be a better one to go for, though, because no? having said I know nothing about games, my little brother has shown me Portal, so I know a little bit. And it seems to me that that maybe is the way to go with games, in that it doesn't have a plot or characters, particularly that you need to build your game around so much. But what you do have are some cool elements that could still be cool in a movie. Maybe. You like that game because also, it revolves around cake. It has cake, I was about to say. Yeah. I think the gun, the portal gun, is a fascinating thing that I would love to see cinematically. I have daydreams about having a portal gun where, you know, you leave your wallet at home, but you've left a portal there and you fire another portal to where you are. You jump through, you pick it up. So to see that, if you don't know, I should explain, a portal gun is something where you can fire either a blue circle or an orange circle. If you fire the orange circle, you can go through wherever you put the blue circle. So that's what a portal gun is, and that's how the game revolves. It's a, it's a puzzle game, it's a physics conundrum-type job. How do you know it's going to go to your house? Because I would have shot it there oh, I see, that morning. Right okay. You know, all the things. You're not paying attention. Just remember your wallet. That, there, there is that option. <laughs> there is that option. If I never get a portal gun, I'll stick to that okay. option. Could it be that since Gordon Freeman, as you say, doesn't speak, and since GLaDOS is in fact in Pacific Rim, that it could be neither of those, and this could be the long-anticipated uh, Team Fortress Team movie, Fortress, my brother is also showing me that. Very exciting, and we were actually bemoaning the lack of Team Fortress people in Wreck-It Ralph, and maybe that's because Team Fortress movie. I would like to see one built entirely around the pyro. Fair enough. And speaking I'm, of which, in a gratuitous piece of cross-promotional activity, you've written a fascinating feature for the website about characters that we would like to see in Wreck-It Ralph 2 I would call it a feature but you're very kind to call it fascinating as well uh, it is did yeah. I say fascinating yeah 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 okay um, and, you know, it, I include GLaDOS in there who is just a very very funny character she she is the evil AI that keeps testing uh, the lead character in Portal uh, the other fascinating thing about this there's that word again is that this may be released via Steam uh, which is Valve's independent game uh, selling platform uh, so that might be interesting way yeah let's call it yeah. marketplace that's a much better word um, so that might be interesting that people might sign up to Steam just to, to, to see a film game type job wow so like a, a, like a House of a Cards House of Cards Netflix approach yeah that's what um, I'm thinking about well, have you did you play that Goovy on Steam 
Okay, I, I, I just stop trying to make Goofy happen, will you? Because yeah. that's not really... All right, James, I think it's over to you. Um, I was conflicted on this one. On the one hand, I wish to bemoan the fact that George R. R. Martin has signed a deal to <laughs> exec produce a number of, uh, of original HBO shows aside from his work on Game of Thrones. Uh, and I have the following... Uh, things to say to George stop doing other things and write the next book you bastard uh, th- that's really all hasn't he been that. in and established quite clearly that actually, he doesn't yeah. give a shit what yeah. you think and he doesn't he doesn't I said this to him last time he doesn't know he doesn't care uh, he's got other things going on and apparently and this upset me a bit he said he doesn't write just for me so um, yeah he, was, he does have other things to do he, no he's he a lovely man he's a lovely he man nice and, and he does have an awful lot on and I appreciate that he can't uh, he can't you know dedicate his entire life to pleasing me um, but seriously one one book every five years really really is this what we're doing really um, but that's not the news I'm here to talk about I'm here to talk about quite appropriately this is I think you said earlier the 47th podcast so oh yes it's only appropriate to mention that agent 47 see you see what i did there you are so um, proud of that i am very <laughs> proud of that and i only realized it when you said that at the beginning of this um is returning uh, for another Hitman movie, which they're reimagining, rebooting, and revamping, and hopefully making good uh, with Paul Walker as the as the bully bully killer. Interesting thought. Yeah, I don't think I'll be honest with you. He has the cranial architecture to pull that <laughs> shit off. I agree. Really? I didn't yeah. realise that there was much... No, no, it's all about the head shape. Okay. And uh, I don't think he has it. But he's always had hair. Have we seen his head shape? You make a fair point. You it know, could be knobbly could beneath. Be no one really knows. Um, also, the man does have a fantastic head of hair. I'm surprised he's willing to well, part true. with it. But, you know. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't think Timothy Oliphant was the problem with the first one. I thought the problem no. with the first one was that it made not a lick of sense. I mean, for example, there's a point where three assassins are sent after... Um, Agent 47 and then they all have a standoff with each other and they're all pointing guns at each other it's like if three of you are on the on the same side shouldn't you all be pointing your guns at him oh yeah it makes no sense at all no it's sense. unspeakably awful so what you're um, saying it's the writing from the first one yeah. maybe that was dodgy now here's the thing <laughs> yeah. that's going to maybe scare you the same guy who wrote the first one right. a one star from Empire movie mm. is writing the second film right. Skip Woods we're Skip talking Woods. about you uh, who maybe... also wrote no comment yep a good day to die hard. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, he's been really working on stuff since. Maybe he saw the first film and went, look, I can learn from this. I can do so better. So what I'll do is get a new actor, even though the first one was pretty good, and um, a new director. Um, yeah, a new director with much more experience, right? I mean, this guy's got got some... Yeah, he's got loads of experience it's uh, Alexander Bark who's done never done a movie right nothing but he's done a lot of good adverts so it'll be fine he does yeah, well I was on set of Hitman in fact uh, and I had a lovely chat with uh, Robert Nepper uh, who's, uh, who's who's awesome um, and uh, even he couldn't save it so you know huh. that's quite sad well we'll just keep fingers crossed yeah Okay, well, uh, we should probably move on. I think it's a bit time for another interview. Um, So we have a man here capable of anything. He has starred in comedies alongside Will Ferrell. He's appeared in three Best Picture nominees in a single year. That was Chicago, The R's and Gangs of New York, for those of you keeping score at home. And he propositioned Helen Mirren in song from the Oscar stage. Now John C. Riley is starring in Wreck-It Ralph as a video game baddie who just wants to be a hero. And we spoke to him recently about his hugely successful new character. One thing, though, before you listen to it, in the interview, because it's just me and him, I, I talked to him about an area of the film which is called Sugar Rush, uh, which is a kind of a uh, Mario Kart-like 
land that he goes into and then we talk about a land that was eventually deleted from the film so if you're curious about sugar what sugar rush is it's kind of a candy flavored mario kart clone so uh, it's still interesting but you might need to know that in advance and that's my fault so sorry about that good work welcome to the empire podcast thank you so much for joining us my pleasure uh first thing to ask you is you're john c Riley. now you're not the first person i immediately think of when i think massive disney movie did you ever think when you first got started in acting that you'd be the lead man of a way, of a sort, in your own Disney franchise? I never even thought I'd be in a movie, period. I mean, I, when I started acting, when I was eight or nine, I was just doing, you know, musicals at the local park or community theater, and movies was some bizarre, like, other world. I, I don't know. I, di- I didn't even think of the actors in films as... As actors, I thought of them as like their characters. It just seemed so real to me. But uh, no, I never thought of myself, even once I started doing movies, being the face of a. Not really the face. I mean, <laughs> I suppose I'm the voice of an iconic Disney character now. But I didn't even, even while we were making this movie, I didn't think of it. I, I just, you know, when you make these things, they start off so small. It started just with just a meeting with the director where he was convincing me to do the part and that we would have a great time working together. And, and then we started recording the voice and it was just him and a, a writer and engineers. At the most, five people in this little room go away. You know, I wouldn't talk to anyone about marketing or, you know, any of these big kind of corporate things that become attached to the movie eventually. And then one day I remember I was walking into the studio and it was getting closer. We were almost done. And all of a sudden my character was all over the front of the building, everywhere, Wreck-It Ralph. And <laughs> clips of the you know, movie were playing in the hallway and there were dolls and like all... It suddenly just really hit me hard that day. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm the new Dumbo. like <laughs> Or whatever, I'm the new... Disney character like this is real like it's not just some little thing we're doing for fun in this little dark room with a couple people like the whole world is going to be hearing this and seeing it so that was pretty humbling because the place where we recorded was where they did Jungle Book and you know all these famous voices from when I was a kid stood in the same place I was standing so I'm curious as to what it's like to pose for photographs next to a giant version of your character in a massive suit. <laughs> uh, it's all right. I don't think I look so much. I think it would be weird if it was like you know a replica of me or something in a cartoon form, but we look different enough. Um, it was pretty nice to be hugged by Ralph, I have to say, with mm. those big arms. Like It's kind of cool. So, I mean, it's like, that's a new thing for me. Like, I've never had a char- what character that I played in the movie represented to me in front of me for me to meet the character, like physically meet the character. So like Mr. Cellophane just shakes your hand. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty odd thing, but, but uh, it was fun. You mentioned it started off with the director, who's, who's Rich Moore, who directed the first five seasons of both Futurama and The Simpsons. And, you know, he's a bit of an institution in his own right. Now, how were you approached with this? Because, I, I mean, Cedar Rapids is where I see the connection here, is that Phil Johnson, who wrote Wreck-It Ralph, also wrote Cedar Rapids. Is he what brought you on board? or? Well, you have to ask Rich exactly how that came about. I think Phil Johnson, the writer of Cedar Rapids, did mention it when we were working on Cedar Rapids. He's like, hey, you know, i got this Disney film I'm working on. Uh, I think you'd be perfect. I keep thinking of you as the character. 
I don't know, I think both Rich and Phil would argue over whose idea it was first. But Rich was dead set on having me play this guy. And I tried to say no in many different ways. I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. I always try to talk people out of hiring me first. I think that's just a way of making sure that it's absolutely the right choice. You know, like making sure that people really want me. Um, But I tried for eight months to talk Rich out of it. And after eight months, he was. I would just finally was thought. Well, he. This must be the right thing to do because he really wants me to do it. He's saying he doesn't want to do the movie if I don't do it. So, um, wow. Yeah, and then you know, I once I saw how he, how much he relied on me in the recording studio to improvise and kind of fill up the soul of the character. Mm. I kind of understood why why he was being so specific about the actor he wanted to play. He just couldn't couldn't just have been anyone. There was a certain feeling to the guy, and and Rich saw that feeling in me, I guess. Now, there's, this has been a huge success record, Ralph, in the U.S., I think beyond everyone's expectations. And a lot of people talk about Oscars, especially for Paper Man, the short that came with it. And, you know, people are naturally thinking about the next cameos. Now, when I spoke to you before on the phone, you told me that you weren't the world's biggest gamer, but you mentioned that you liked Gallagher. Yeah. Would you be keen to see a Gallagher cameo in the next Wreck-It Ralph movie? <laughs> I don't know. There's, they're just such sense. We we already have kind of Gallagher-like characters in that in the hero's duty part of the uh, movie. You know, those space bugs. That's essentially what those Gallagher things are, right? These mean insects that mm-hmm. just relentlessly come at you. But, uh, yeah, sure. The more the merrier. It would be surreal if you were to, at one point in your life work with Mario as a co-star that was on you know there were many people trying to make that happen for this movie but Mario has a big management team (laughs) huge entourage a lot of entourage big you know high powered agents hopefully if we make a sequel one day he had his own movie didn't he I think so they already made a movie about him so yeah Yeah, he's got a big ego that guy yeah now I've read in a couple of places that you are a big fan of Guys and Dolls yeah, and so am I. So am I. And I was. And you've been mentioned as the Nathan Detroit. But wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Have you made any attempts to kind of make that happen yourself? No, those the rights for that musical are tied up in some family estate, and I don't know. Different people have tried to get it going over the years, but it just seems to be one of those kind of holy grail stories that just uh, never gets put together. But I don't know. Yeah, that would be great. Mm. Well, I mean, honestly, it would it would make my day. I mean, I do enjoy the original film version, but I feel like it is a mu- musical that deserves okay. a redo. It was a little, a little too stylized, I thought. I could I thought it could have done a little more of a realistic treatment of it, but, yeah, I mean, Brando, Sinatra, mm. pretty hard to top that, but wouldn't be the first time a great film was remade. True enough. Uh, I've got a couple of questions here that we, we like to call the IMDb bunker, which is IMDb... Uh, kind of being checked out because so much of the stuff on that site is total nonsense yes and I'm sure you approach with it all the time so I just want to double check a couple of things is it true that your first ever plane ride was going to Thailand to film Casualties of War yes so that is true yes so so how did that feel for the your first ever plane ride to be your first ever film it was pretty surreal I remember sitting in the first class cabin of this plane and there was this oil executive from Exxon sitting next to me and I said excuse me I looked at the menu for the food and I 
I, I had to ask him, I, was, I said, excuse me, sir, what is a prawn? <laughs> and he was like, oh, it's kind of a big shrimp. It's sort of amused. Uh, so, yeah, it was surreal. But that's true. That is one thing that IMDb got right. Okay, hopefully I'll get this next one right as well. Is it true that for your audition for Chicago, you dressed in a bow tie and suit and sent an audition tape? Yes. So that is true as well. Yeah, and I sent them two versions, which <laughs> Rob Marshall was already wanted me to do the part even before I sent the tape, but he needed to hear... He was making all the actors sing because he wanted to make sure everyone could sing. But I sent him a second version. You know, here's something... It's another kind of take on it if you didn't like the first one. But what he doesn't know is I, I think I did 13, 13, 14, 15 takes of it and, uh, and then just chose to, to include uh, okay. on a videotape. Yeah, is that, is that a regular occurrence for you or have you reached the stage where you don't need to send off these audition tapes? Uh, I did it for Les Mis and it didn't work. <laughs> Who are you aiming for? Oh, I don't want to say, but one of the roles and... Uh, there you have it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Musicals, are it's pretty important to sing for the director on a musical. Mm. It's not one of those things you want to just trust <laughs> will work out. Yeah. You know? Now, I want to double-check with you. Has it been decided who you'll play in your Anchorman 2 cameo? I don't know that I'm going to be in Anchorman 2. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that there's a spot for me or not. I, I have no idea. To I just, tell you the truth, I honestly have no idea. I just emailed Adam and Will today to say, like, how's it going, guys? Are you doing good? Like, I'm so Because I'm really excited to see that movie. Yeah. Uh, I almost... I think I'd almost prefer to just be an audience member and be able to just enjoy it and not, not be part of it. But um, we'll see. I don't know. That said, if they turn around, you'd be like, mm, yeah, I'll probably think about it. Oh, of course. Any chance to work with Will and Adam would be... You'd be a fool to pass that up. When I was uh, there, there, were, there was a lot of talk about this other world that was actually removed from the film because it couldn't fit it in with the time, it didn't work with the flow of the story, and that was called Extreme Easy Living 2. Yeah. Um, which I just think is one of the most beautifully named things that's ever existed. Yeah. And it was a kind of a Sims meets Grand Theft Auto, you know, massive multiplayer yeah. game. Now, how far did that go? Were you recording lines for that? No, it never got to the recording stage. It did. It was in there for quite a while, though, in the story development part of the stage, as the script was being worked on. But and it never got actually. We never actually recorded. It's too bad too, because that was pretty funny. He just decides to say, "Screw it! I'm going to become like a hedonist, and you know, not care about other people." Yeah, my big problem with that scene in particular was it was difficult to have him having a once he leaves the sugar rush game was. They had to really come up with this very contrived, I thought, way to have him have an awareness of what was going on mm. after he left. They put like a TV in some bar in the Easy Living game, or he sees on the TV like, "Oh, look, that's happening in Sugar Rush." And I was like, "Ah, oh, come on, that's not." Mm. They wouldn't be getting news of Sugar Rush in <laughs> Easy Living too. They're too busy Easy Living. They're too busy, you know, on rollerblades or on swimming pools. Yeah, exactly. Getting their mullets trimmed and drinking Jägermeister jello shots by the pool. Um, and, and finally, don't have this the wrong way, but you, I think, are one of those people that people find difficult to place. They see mm. you and go, I know you, but I don't know who you are or where you're from. Who is the person that people most get you confused with? <laughs> it's not a particular person, because I don't really look like too many people, for better or worse. Um, 
I think it's just people have a fam- there's a familiarity to me. People are like, oh, you, uh, yeah. I mean, it used to happen much more a few years ago before. I don't know. I think I finally just saturated the market with films. I've been in like 60 films or something at this point. So at this point, whether you're young or old or male or female or rich or poor, like no matter what kind of movie you're into, chances are I've been in one of those kind of movies. So there's usually what the way it usually goes these days is a moment of incomprehension. Like, wait, aren't you? And then they have to file. uh, No, not college. No, not a neighbor. No. Not the repairman for the dishwasher. Oh, he's in that movie. Oh, you were great in that. I love you. So that's nice. It's nice to walk around ha- having loving interactions. Yeah. It beats, it beats the alternative, you know. <laughs> that's what people say, like, you must get so sick of this. You must be such a pain to have people coming up to you all the time. And I was like, well, it could be worse. I could be famous for something bad. And then people would be spitting at me or yelling at me. Instead of random people say, hey, I love you, which is not bad. Occasionally the odd interaction where I'll be, I remember I was standing in like an airport food store looking for water or something. And I was standing in front of this case, kind of decide what drink to get. And this girl just kind of slowly came up right next to me. And without making eye contact, just said really quietly, do you like guacamole? I was like, what? Yes, I do. Like, I didn't get the movie reference. He's doing a line from Step Brothers, of course. I didn't get it. I just was like, what? I was just so freaked out. She was so close to me, and she said it so quietly. I was like, what? Yes, yes, I do like guacamole. And she's like, no, from the movie, from Step Brothers. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Like, like, gave me a start. You thought she was actually going to offer you some guacamole. You were getting quite hungry. You like guacamole? And it sounded like she was going to stab me with a pair of scissors is what it sounded like, but she was just being funny. Oh, well, thanks. Um, But no, like you were saying earlier, you know, who would have thought when you first got started that that would ever happen? Yeah. It's been a long, strange trip. Well, thank you, sir. It's come to this, uh, doing the Empire podcast. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. So hopefully we'll speak to you soon. All right. And good luck with Recraft 2 or whatever else you've got coming up next. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay, now reviews time, and it is a packed week for films with six major releases, so we're going to have to go reasonably speedily through them. Let's start with where we left off. It's Wreck-It Ralph from Disney Animation, and that has John C. Riley's Ralph, um, who's a bad egg just trying to do good for a change. Joining him in Rich Moore's film is Sarah Silverman as Vanellope, the eccentric racer in a go-karting game, Jane Lynch as a tough-nut drill sergeant, and 30 Rock's Jack McBrayer as the hero of Ralph's game, Fix-It Felix. So what do we think of this? Um, Al I'm going to turn to you just because, you know, you wrote the feature, you went on set practically, you know everything about it. Wreck-It Ralph sees John C. Riley's Wreck-It Ralph uh, as a bad guy who's kind of having a midlife crisis. He is spending maybe the past 20 years doing the same job day after day after day, uh, which is essentially smashing up a house. Now, the guy who is fixing this house, the hero of this game, as you say, is Fix-It Phoenix Jr., played by Jack McBrayer, and he is a hero and everyone loves him and all the people in the uh, building that he smashes up all the time, they love him. They think he's great. And uh, a slightly despondent Ralph has just had enough. He kind of just goes, look, I don't think I could do this anymore. He goes to this therapy group called Bad Anon and tries to work through his feelings and he just, just wants to be the hero. He wants to be the good guy. So, in many aspects, this is a, a pretty 
two-sided movie. There's lots of game cameos. It's based inside an arcade, inside a specific game within an arcade. There's a train station uh, where you get to via electrical plugs. This is called Game Central Station, where you can see a whole bucket load of cameos. And in the first 40 minutes, it's kind of a machine gun of in-jokes, quirky, quippy moments. And generally, it's just nerdvana for arcade game fans. First 40 minutes, I absolutely loved. It was really sharp and really quick and really funny. The problem is, because there is so much going on in this new world, this, you know, Richmore, the director, had to create not only one world, which is Wreck-It Ralph's game, Fix Finney Jr., he's got to create all the worlds that he game jumps into because he goes to different games. Then he has to create what I've previously mentioned, Game Central Station. So each land has its own lore. And I think a problem this film has, even though it's incredibly good fun, is it gets tangled up in its own intricacies. That said, it is still incredibly inventive. Really good fun. And a lot of good fun. Yeah. Sarah Silverman may wind people up a little bit with her cutesy-wootsy Vanellope Bond Sweets character. She lives in this game Sugar Rush, which I mentioned previously, uh, which is kind of a, let's call it girly, please don't be offended, Helen. Oh, I'm um, outraged. Racing game. And uh, that's where Ralph finds himself and he forms this kind of quite awkward but pretty funny relationship with Vanellope and tries to work out what it is about him that he's so unhappy with and tries to fix problems with her life. It's very sweet actually and and if you're worried this is just too nerdy or too game centric for you it's not. Uh, there's a reason why it made an absolute bucket load of money in the US over in September last year and it's because it's actually really family friendly. Richmore knows what he's doing. Uh, I, I would personally say that the fact that it spends so long in this sugar rush game at the end in the last third it kind of wears a little thin, but really, all in all, it's one of the most inventive animated films I've seen in ages. I feel like so many are just kind of generic, and this certainly isn't that. And if you like the idea of Bowser coughing up a fireball when he gets surprised, do watch this film. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 quirky and it's nerdy, and it, it felt to me like it was made for me, and I always appreciate movies See, like that. Yeah. This is my issue with it. And I didn't dislike it by any means, but my, I suppose as the nerdiest person in this podcast, I don't think that film was nerdy enough, and it wasn't made for me. Um, they do have a number of game cameos in that. I'm not going to allude to specific titles, so I'm going to ruin it for people. I don't think there were enough. I think, you know, I would have liked to have seen them get more game references in there to get, get frankly the rights to use characters from more games and I think had they had that probably money is is, is the, the driving force there but had they had that it would have made it much more nerd friendly there'd have been a much more sort of uh, sort of in-jokery for gamers um, and as you say all the Sugar Rush stuff uh, which does come when they when they go into that game it to me that takes it out of the gaming world and it almost becomes a non-game related film at that point and it could be any kind of you know sort of schmaltzy uh, uh, animated feature uh, and I think if they stayed a little bit truer to their gaming roots and kind of got in touch with their inner nerd uh, it would have made a better film and I'm hoping that they maybe learn from that though the box office may mean that they don't need to um, for the sequel and uh, I want more, more nerds in the sequel, more, more gaming references. I've been thinking about that point of why didn't they have more cameos? Why didn't they stick in more gaming in jokes? I think they're a little coy. You're right. They could have gone both barrels and maybe they just went for one. But the other thing is, and this is me being very cynical, they have to use their own gaming, their own characters because they need to be able to do things to the characters, make them grow, make them change. And if there's one thing Capcom and Nintendo are precious about, it's their star characters. They're not going to let Mario suddenly have a vault fast. Sure 
they need he, Disney needed to have their own people and here's my second point they needed to sell some of their own stuff their merchandise <laughs> needed to be their own wow way to pull back the curtain it's a natural thing they go look well okay we'll do that but who's going to make money off of this outside of the film well yeah Capcom are going to do well because Ryu is suddenly back into the pop cultural zeitgeist spoiler also M. Bison double spoiler that is I think a sad a sad part of the way animated movies are made you need to have your own what are they called ISPs well also but it's not Disney's job IPs it's not IPs yeah it's not not Disney's job to make a great you know Mario film no it's not you're absolutely right you know and I spoke to in that interview I said uh, you know how is it going to you know if Mario is part of Wreck-It Ralph 2 how do you feel and he just goes you know what Mario already had his own movie and didn't he just? And didn't he, though? So we gave that four stars. We really liked Wreck-It Ralph, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I think if you're a particular brand of nerd, James, Thank you. you will find many things that will maybe uh, make you push your glasses further up your nose. Um, but all in all, it is a rollicking good ride. I have to say that the level of cameo was such that I got a lot of them. So, you know. Therein lies the problem. Yeah. <laughs> All right, nerd boy. Uh, <laughs> next, uh, it's something we've also already touched on. It's the ROMs on com of Warm Bodies, wherein Nicholas Holt plays R, who's a rather conflicted zombie, who finds himself, forgive me, reanimating. Thank you. When he falls in love with Teresa Palmer's Julie, who's one of the few surviving humans. James, tell us more. Uh, this is, of course, Jonathan Levine's film, which is based on the young adult novel uh, by Isaac Marion. Um it's a really, really icky premise, <laughs> quite horrible. frankly. It's just full-on necrophilia, really, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, he's a zombie, and he fancies a girl, but he's dead. And, you know, let's be honest, decomposing. Yeah, and, and at her boyfriend's brain. And at her boyfriend's brain, and continues to eat her boyfriend's brain and out of a pat lunchbox during the film. Um, yeah, it's quite grim, but weirdly, it does it does work very well. I, I'll be honest, I've not read the book. I know you have, I have haven't yet. you? Um, what works with this is uh, Nicholas Holt just plays it brilliantly. His interior monologue is nothing short of genius. And I think this is, to me, this is what sold me the film. Um, he's just hilarious. Like, his outwardly, he's a sort of shuffling, shambling zombie, sort of grunting words here and there, which he improves with as the film goes on. But his interior monologue is obviously flawless, very deadpan, very dry, very humorous. Uh, and I think, as you pointed out in the review, the bit where he's going up to a girl and his monologue's going, don't be creepy, don't be creepy. And he's like, oh! <laughs> it's just, you know, it's comedy gold. Um, all of that stuff, I think, works brilliantly. You know, the, the relationship between them uh, that they forge and, and, and which deepens as the film goes on, that's great. I think, you know, it, it does dip a little bit when it turns into sort of an action climax towards the end uh, mm-hmm. without giving anything away. Um, and I think that's probably its weakest part. I don't think it detracts from the the experience at all. I think um, also... Um, Annalee Tipton, I believe her name is, who yep. plays uh, Teresa Palmer's best friend. Uh, she has some great material in there as well. She's very funny. Um, I think between her and the interior monologue, those are my those are my sort of favourite parts of that film. I enjoyed Rob Corddry in this film very much. He yep. plays the zombie friend kind of guy, but obviously yeah. they can't really be friends because there's not a lot of they, they dialogue. Sort of, sort of grunt, but there's a lovely bit. I mean, it, it starts... It does owe a lot to Shaun of the Dead, as you'd sort of expect, but it starts with that kind of... It's set in an airport full of zombies shuffling around. There's a bit where he walks through the um, metal detector and this zombie security guard sort of lazily wafts his yeah. his uh, metal detector thing at him. And then they go and sit... He sits down and him and Rob Cordroy just sit next to each other and just exchange grunted pleasantries in zombie. Uh, 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 a 
conversations the like of which we have on a daily basis it, for it about 10 like Empire on a Monday morning. Um, and he provides a lot of the great comic moments Rob Cordra as well mm. it's very funny um, great good soundtrack too I yeah. enjoyed it I thought you know it's not massively boundary pushing particularly it's got a clever premise but if you know it's been done before those zombie films have been parodied very effectively yeah, it has slight, an interesting twist on it which is that the teenagers can't really communicate always their feelings I mean like, we can't either sometimes when you're a bit older but you know and they, and, and, and he's tongue tied around her and it's quite an interesting sort of metaphor for, for young love I think yeah it's, a, it's very effective at that I think I'm not sure it's a parody exactly of, of zombie movies I think it's just you know a, another it's a subversive approach. twist it's isn't a, it on yeah, the zombie okay, movie I'd to be fair if you're going to go for a subversive twist on the zombie movie I mean I did like this liked it a lot I'd probably take Shaun of the Dead or indeed Zombieland over this I think this is very much at least on a par with Zombieland if not The Great Sean um, but I, I just really really enjoyed it and I think I think it's interesting that um, I, I thought for ages and we've had all of these you know paranormal romances paranormal romance is now an entire section in your local bookstore which is still boggles my mind and I kept thinking okay we've had you know vampires and werewolves and freaking dark elves and all this nonsense but surely there's got to be a line we're not going to have zombies at least and yet here it is and it's actually rather good so there you go and anyway we give this four stars um which is a very big recommendation um next up we have a film about film so anthony hopkins is playing alfred hitchcock presumably because they have matching initials um in a film about the making of psycho helen mirren is his wife alma and the stellar supporting cast included scarlett johansson jessica biel danny houston and tony collette um ali i'm going to come back to you for this one what did you think a little bit more background before I talk about this film. The man who directed this uh, is a man called Sasha Jovasi. Don't say Jovasi because then you'll misspell it and it will look like Ricky Gervais would have got up to some kind of weird biopic. Um, he directed Anvil, the story of Anvil, which is a five-star documentary. It is amazing. If you haven't seen it, check it out. And it is great. Uh, so do watch that. Heartily recommend that. I'm slightly more lukewarm about this. Now, you've mentioned all those great names. Yeah. And they are all good at it, this film. Really good. Anthony Hopkins, a couple of wobbles into the uh, Welsh accent I noticed a couple of times, but all in all, a very respectable portrayal of Hitch. Helen Mirren is perhaps more glamorous uh, than the, the real-life Alma, but she's also very good indeed. And if you want to see somebody stress each caviar, look no further. It's all here. <laughs> and maybe my biggest problem with this is that it doesn't really tell much... It certainly didn't tell me much more than I already knew. This is partially because I love Hitchcock and I do know a decent amount about him, but I would have thought they would have dug a bit deeper. And as it is, it's quite light and it's quite fluffy. Mm. It's gentle comedy, dude. Uh, and where The Girl, which was uh, Toby Jones's TV movie, really went for the darkness, really went for the, his his obsession with, with, with young uh, blonde women, uh, this is kind of... Uh, it kind of steers clear from that and, and sticks more with the, the two... Uh, very intelligent minds um, kind of uh, bickering with each other i.e. Alma and Hitch trying to work out how to film what, what seems to be an unfilmable film uh, the bits that I found most enjoyable uh, were were Anthony Hopkins as Hitch dealing with the censors negotiating parrying you know going really really far with some scenes just so they can sneak in something else uh, and it was fun to see how they uh, they took ScarJo and put her in a shower and it, it, those bits are quite affecting but that sounded really pervy I'm it sorry. does a bit doesn't it uh, <laughs> anyway go ahead don't worry guys uh, and by don't worry I mean sorry guys you don't see that much uh, it's it's just a little gentle I think and they, they could have 
gone so much further and dug so much deeper he's a fascinating character and I think they just kind of gently glide over what happened rather mm. than really getting their teeth in it's a weird one isn't it because the girl went way too far the other direction because that made hit fans um, including myself you know apoplectic at times and this one maybe has just been a little bit too safe there's probably somewhere in the middle that it would be the perfect hitch biopic so we gave this three stars three and stars. that that is fair and uh, it, it is it's a decent movie I, I just feel that I was maybe maybe Sasha went a little too uh, he was a little too brave or ambitious with this uh, it's good but not, not as good right. as it could have been fair enough alright we're in the home stretch there's only three more films to go and yes there are still three films to go sorry about that uh, the next film is a rom-com from director Dan Mazur um, with Rafe Spall and Rose Byrne as a young couple who fall in love get married and then try to figure out whether they're going to make it now obviously we had Dan Mazur and Rafe Spall on the show last week so you may know a bit about this already um I'll take this one. Why not? It's my turn. Um, I thought this was okay, actually. it was. It's an interesting approach to a rom-com. It starts at the happy ending, couple getting married, perfect wedding, everything's lovely, apart from maybe, you know, Stephen Merchant's best man speech, which is a little bit off the rails. Um, but you know then can they actually make it work in real life can you sort of live the uh, live the dream especially when she meets Mr Perfect at, w- at work played by Simon Baker who let's face it perfect and uh, and he his ex-girlfriend played by Anna Faris is back in town and he's wondering if maybe he chose the right girl or the wrong girl after all so you know it's an interesting kind of proposition I guess it's not always as likeable as it maybe needs to be for this kind of film to work and I think that it, you've always got to tread a really fine line with these kind of comedies. Like, it's got to be, on one hand, challenging and not anodyne and boring. On the other hand, you can't lose the audience's sympathy. And, and while, you know, I think the cast are all good, I just didn't 100% always have sympathy with their problems. They didn't seem wildly likeable in the trailer. Like, mm. it, had the, it had some funny bits in it, but then there's bits where Stephen Merchant's character is... Is laying into Anna Faris. Well, and he's flat out unlikable. He's a bit creepy, but he's Stephen Merchant, so he's also very funny. So you kind of let him away with it. The problem's more you've got to you've got to kind of root for the for the central pair, and you don't always hear. That's my problem. Is we were discussing one fine day was on in the office, and we were discussing. <laughs> don't ask why. We were discussing that whole rom com feeling of you. Do you really want them to get together? Are you excited about them getting together? What about this guy? What about this guy? With this film, I was watching it, and at times I was laughing. Uh, although also other times I felt like it was doing my little bugbear thing, which is crudeness in comedy for crudeness's sake, yeah. and I wasn't quite sure whether they were going, haha, that's actually genuinely funny because you believe in the characters and you care, or because it was a sketch. It felt a bit sketchy. There's a threesome uh, gag which felt quite tacked on, and if they were looking for things to cut, I was wondering whether they could get rid of that because it just felt a little bit added on. But I didn't care, really, although I was laughing at times, who got with who or why they got with them or whether they'd all work out in the end. And for me, that is integral to a good rom-com. You've got to really care whether Hugh Grant gets together with, insert the person he's starring alongside. <laughs> I just didn't with this one, and it, 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 it was difficult. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I had a bit more sympathy than that, but it wasn't. It just wasn't quite in the sweet spot for me. We give this three stars. So we, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to like in it. There's a lot of good moments. Um, I think the cast are all good. Um, it's just maybe not quite as as great as we hoped it would be. If you're thinking it's going to be a cutesy, my best friend's wedding type job, it's not. Um, it's more on the bridesmaids, even Bruno style of things, because the first time director, Dan Mazer, wrote that. Uh, so 
don't be surprised if some pretty awkward moments uh, might ensue if you're sitting down on your first date watching this film. Okay, then we've got uh, a Best Foreign Film nominee, uh, which is No. It is the story of an ad man who took on the... The Reverend Dottery and Paisley. <laughs> is, that, is that what it was about? I no. thought he was a doctor. No! Um, it is the story, in fact, of an ad man who took on the Pinochet regime, with Gael Garcia Bernal starring and, by all accounts, delivering a very good Chilean accent. Phil, what was your reaction? Oh, yeah, yeah, look at me, because it's what? the foreign one. Well, have you seen this? <laughs> yeah, no. Did right. you like it? <laughs> no! No! It's really hard to Google this film. Um, <laughs> and it's very, it is very good. It's very good. Um... Two films potentially stand to win the best picture in their respective categories about voting, which is not necessarily the sexiest topic you wouldn't have thought until they make an action movie called Hanging Chad or something such like that. Um, this one, as you say, Gael Ga- Garcia Bernal. Gael Garcia Bernal. Exactly. Yeah. It's the third part in Pablo Larraín's uh, Chilean trilogy. Um, Tony Monero and Postmortem were the other two set period pieces set this one at the towards towards might be a bit of a spoiler actually this one set in the General Pinochet dictatorship yep and what was happening at this time is 1988 the world was starting to put a, apply a bit of pressure to to the Pinochet regime for repressive X, Y and Z so as a result Pinochet said okay we'll have a plebiscite we'll have a, a, a popular vote and you decide if you want to keep me or not um to make it fair, he gave the other side, the no vote, a chance to put ads on TV. Each side had 28 days worth of ads. Gail Garcia Bernal plays an advertising executive. It's a little, not really madman, but he's that kind of guy who has to create this campaign to depose Pinochet, to get everyone to vote no. We don't want him anymore. He's gone, the repression, blah, blah, blah. And they do it, they do it in a really funny, really clever, really vibrant way. And and, and uh, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a film about using about humor and how humor uh, and being subversive and clever and quirky can can make things happen. Um, it's beautifully performed. It's kind of a dialed down performance by Bernal Garcia Bernal, um, and it's got a great sense of period. A little bit like Argo, but set a little bit later. Shot in this amazing, umatic uh, Sony low definition look. It's like you're watching it and it feels very... The good thing about it is that they use a lot of archive footage, obviously, of that time, a really fascinating time of turmoil in South America, and it really blends seamlessly into this film. It's like you're watching it and you think, Jesus, my dad's probably recorded it like grandstand with Dickie Davis or something over this it's that kind of thing it's like something it looks like something from the you've, 80s you've got to love that we're now celebrating lo-fi yeah <laughs> well, I, you know I said is this gonna you're gonna bother releasing this on blu-ray because it, it 48 frames per second yeah exactly yeah it's a game changer backer that's per hour more like it, yeah it's incredibly it, you know let's not be around the bush it's ugly to start with it's a bit jarring to look at to start with but it but it really it's it's an unusual thing it's an unusual looking looking film. It's a really interesting aesthetic. And as I say, it works really well to assimilate all of this archive material in a very, very seamless way that you don't get with much bigger budget movies. We gave this film four stars and I think it's very much a worthy best foreign film. It's got, you know, there's tough competition. Um, the Royal Affair, I think. Amour. Amour is going to be very hard to beat in this category. Yeah. Um, but this is this is really worth checking out. Um 
and uh, and it's you know if you're interested in that kind of that kind of period, it almost feels like it's about to become a thriller at one point, but it never quite does. It's not really about that, okay. but it is a, you know there's a very oppressive vibe to to this kind of repressive Pinochet regime. It's if you're interested in that, check it out. It's going to be a hard one to buy tickets for as well. I'd like one for no. No what? No for one, yeah. one for all. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, you can hear more about that from uh, Bernal has, himself, who's on the Empire site right now, your interview, right, right Phil? That's right. Um, but finally, we should talk, uh, before we go, about A Liar's Autobiography, which is the very unconventional story of Graham Chapman's life. Ali, can you explain this? I'm going to try to. Okay, go. Graham Chapman wrote an autobiography before he died. One would hope. Well, yeah, it would be pretty impressive if he managed to do it after he died. He wrote this autobiography, but he didn't just do that. He also took out a tape and recorded what he'd written. Now, it's those recordings that have been turned into this film. How do you do that? Well, you do it by gathering together, I think it's about 15 or so. 14, yeah. Is it 14? Uh, different animation teams to create different sections of this film, of his, his words. Some of these are the most out there, nuts things you've ever seen. Not just like Terry Gillingham, foot, squish, paper stuff. Totally nuts. Actually, there, there were a couple that reminded me, you know, in The Meaning of Life, where um, Eric Idle sings um, about the universe and mm-hmm. it's uh, a woman in the green contoured lines that suddenly gives birth to the earth. It's that kind of mad. Uh, so there are certain moments where you'll go, well, that's really beautifully done. What a, what a fascinating insight. And that was so well drawn out. And there'll be other moments where you go, what the hell is going on? Is that a petunia eating a man? Uh, so look forward to that. Was it a petunia eating a man? I have no idea. Even now, I have no idea. <laughs> if you're a Monty Python fan, this is definitely one to take a look at because there's nothing else like it. And, and Monty Python, in their heyday, they, they, they were a spectacular, inventive groundbreaking comedy troupe and this lives up to their memory um, it's not a another Monty Python wannabe it is it is really out there uh, um, and really special in front of that what you will but not necessarily everyone's cup of tea mm, so we give it three is that three. right three yeah it's a bit of a mixed bag there are a couple of moments where I thought were absolutely stunning and if you're into animation as a concept if you're into animation do watch it for that reason alone all right, fair enough. Well, we should mention also out this week is Hirokazu Kurita's I Wish, which got three stars, and The Fall of the Essex Boys, which got only one. Uh, now, that's it for this week. We will be back next week with visits from Jai Courtney, who's, of course, starring in A Good Day to Die Hard, and the stars of Beautiful Creatures will be here, as well as getting our take on This Is 40 and all the week's new releases. Until then, it's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye to you. Goodbye from James. Bye. And goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. See you again. Bye.